Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be here with you this morning. Thanks for joining us today. Get the pleasure of having a conversation with my good friend here, Abdu Murray. And uh, yeah. What I love the most about doing these conversations is that we get to always meet up at our favorite restaurant, P.F. Chang's, to talk about this beforehand. Right. So right. any other people, big P.F. Chang's fans out there? What's your favorite P.F. Chang's meal, you think? Uh, they, they don't have it on the menu anymore. There was this beef a la Sichuan thing, which was like spicy beef, like crispy almost, <laughs> and they stopped making it, maybe because I liked it. I don't know what the deal is. <laughs> In all seriousness, we're, we're glad to be here with you this morning. We're continuing in our series called Waymaker. This morning, we're going to talk about our God being a miracle worker. That's what the song says. And obviously, if you look throughout the Bible, there are plenty of stories of God being a miracle worker and, and doing the miraculous. I also am aware that... If you've been in church a long period of time and you've believed God for miracles and you've believed God for things in your life, you've probably experienced two different things. You've probably experienced God moving miraculously in your life where you just sit back and go, wow, that was so amazing. God moved so powerfully in that situation, in that moment. I'm blown away by it. That had to be a supernatural miracle. And then you've probably had some disappointments in life where you were believing God for something and you hoped he would answer you in a way that you thought was best and maybe that led to a disappointment. And on top of that, maybe someone else who was believing God for the same exact thing you were, their miracle happened, yours didn't. This is a little bit of the, the conversation we're gonna have with Abdu today. We're gonna kind of unpack this and try to understand how God works as the miracle worker. But before we jump into all that, uh, the Bible's full of miracles. I mean, the Old Testament, Abdu, we see the parting of the Red Sea. We see manna falling from heaven. We see burning bushes. We see all kinds of miraculous signs. Mm -hmm. In the New Testament, I mean, here's a verse in Matthew 9, 35. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Mm -hmm. Every. And then Acts 5, 15 through 16, this is after Christ had died and rose from the dead. Now you have the disciples doing the work. And this is Peter. They're talking about Peter. It says, as a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns of Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. So you, we obviously see miracles in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We can conclude if you believe the Bible is an accurate historic document and the Word of God that these miracles are true. And so what would you say to people who maybe are skeptical about some of the miracles that happen in the Bible? Um, so 
It's interesting because when you look at most of the miracles in the Bible, when you take a look at most of the claims that, of miraculous in the Bible, what you find is not a whole lot of historical evidence that backs up that particular miracle. I mean, give you, for example, the manna falling from heaven. That stuff was either eaten or it withered away or right. was somehow just dissolved before we could actually collect it. Now, you do have eyewitness testimony written in the scriptures about these things that happened. So that is, that is actual evidence. Take it from me. I'm a lawyer. Um, <laughs> uh, that is actual evidence. In fact, most of our evidence in courts of law are actual eyewitness testimony. So we actually do have evidence of it in the written record of scripture, but do you have corroborative evidence? Do you have additional evidence? For example, the Exodus. Now there is a growing body of evidence that suggests that we actually might know if the Exodus actually happened and how we can prove it historically, but largely speaking, most of it just doesn't exist. But here's the, here's the thing, and don't, don't get all nervous, okay, on me. Um, <laughs> uh, here's the thing that's important, is that when we look at various avenues of certain miracles within the Bible, in fact, the chief miracles in the Bible, um, we actually have tons of evidence for it. So for example, um, the fact that we're talking right now is itself evidence that a miracle occurred. I mean, when you think about the, the creation of the people, I, I have a friend named Frank Turek, and he, he has a talk called Why I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. And um, <laughs> he talks about, he asks people, what's the chief miracle in the Bible? And almost every Christian says, the resurrection. He says, yeah, that's the chief theological miracle, but the greatest feat of miraculous strength or miraculous power was the creation of the universe out of nothing. Hmm. So we know from Big Bang cosmology that the world began, essentially all time, matter, energy, and space began from a place of nothingness. There was nothing. In other words, there were no things. There was not anything. And nothing does, well, nothing. Right. So it can't create itself. So the fact that there's actually a universe where there looks like there was choices made, this universe could have been different. It could have been vastly different. A, a, a universe that did not permit any life whatsoever to exist. That miracle itself already is, we have evidence of it because we're talking about it. I mean, we're sitting in the middle of that miracle. Then you fast forward uh, to the resurrection itself. And there's tons of historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. So, and I've given talks about this, I've debated various people about this, and there's great material by some wonderful scholars who are out there, uh, both Christian and non-Christian, who talk about the historical evidence surrounding the claim that Jesus rose from the dead. So here's the kicker. If you see a claim in the Bible for which we have almost no evidence for a particular miracle, like the man born blind, like um, <clears throat> the woman with the issue of blood. We have no evidence of that other than the eyewitness account in the, uh, that, are, that are taken in the Bible. And that's still evidence, but we don't have corroborative historical evidence. What you do have is this. When Jesus says and acknowledges that God delivered the Israelites miraculously from, the, from slavery, from the slavery of Egypt by parting the Red Sea and getting them across the way. When he says that, you can believe it actually happened. Why? Because there is evidence that Jesus miraculously rose from the dead. And guys who rise from the dead tend to have credibility. <laughs> so all those other miracles, while we might not actually see evidence of them historically, we do have the greatest eyewitness that could there possibly be is the person who died and rose from the dead and said that God created all these things. So we have wonderful reasons to believe these things. Sometimes there's corroborative evidence, but there's the greatest corroborative evidence was the person who has sole authority to claim that miracle actually happened 
said it actually happened. Now, if I can just indulge for a moment, sure. because I think oftentimes what people do when they're skeptical of miracles, there's a couple of things going on in someone's mind about what's happening here, is that someone might say, well, um, Hume, uh, uh, David Hume was a philosopher um, and a brilliant, brilliant man, uh, but he was a skeptic, a, a, a strong skeptic, and he said miracles by definition are impossible, and so we don't have enough evidence probabilistically to believe that any one miracle happened. Essentially saying that <clears throat> uh, any explanation for a fact of history that is not miraculous is by definition the more likely explanation. So for example, if um, I claimed that I was healed, I was sick and I was healed. Someone might say the most likely explanation is not that God actually healed you, it's that the healing properties of your body coupled with medical science actually worked to heal you or there was some psychosomatic effect uh, that caused this healing. You had a severe flu or maybe you had COVID and by statistics you should have passed away from it, but you didn't. Um, you might say, that's a miracle. No, more likely than not. What? So and the miracle is the least likely explanation they would say. Now that sort of sounds intuitive, right? We might say a miracle is the least likely explanation because by definition, a miracle is the least likely event. They're rare. And so therefore, you should automatically assume it wasn't a miracle. Now sometimes that's, that's true, that's correct. Um, uh, but sometimes it's not. Because here's what I want to uh, uh, highlight to you. When someone says a miracle is the least likely explanation for a fact, and therefore every other explanation, no matter how unlikely, is automatically more likely than a miracle, they're engaging in circular reasoning because they've actually misdefined what a miracle is. And this is the important part. A miracle is not, by definition, the least likely event to occur. That's not what the definition actually is. So nature, when left to itself, acts according to certain laws of nature. That's just the way it is. If I pick up this bottle and I open my hand, by definite operation of law, it's going to fall to the earth. Now that's not an according to Hoyle sort of miracle, other than the fact that gravity exists in the first place, which wouldn't exist had God not created the whole world. But um, no one's gonna say, oh my goodness, did you see that thing fall? <laughs> that's a miracle, because you see it all the time. What a miracle is, is when nature is not left to itself. It's the simple definition of it. A miracle occurs when nature is not left to operate according to its own laws. Now, that doesn't mean it's likely or unlikely. It has nothing to do with likelihood or probability. It has nothing to do with it. It just means that a miracle happens when nature is not left to itself. So, if you say a miracle is by definition, follow me now, if you, if you, if you say by definition a miracle is the least likely event, then you are assuming the conclusion, you're already saying there is no miracle worker. And then you're saying a miracle can't happen. Why? Because there's no miracle worker. Why is there no miracle worker? Because there's no miracles that happen. Do you see how circular that is? You're proving the conclusion before you even start the argument. And that's not good argumentation. Rather, ask yourself, did nature operate the way it normally operates? And if the answer is, after looking at the evidence and looking at things, the answer is no, then you have good reasons to believe a miracle actually happened. So oftentimes when we're skeptical, it's because of the definitions. Now some people, let me go back historically, then uh, I'll close on this one, is just 
I think oftentimes people think, well, the Bible's full of miracles because gullible people wrote a gullible book for gullible people because mm. they couldn't understand the way nature actually worked. Right. You know, it's sort of like the way the, 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 um, uh, the, uh, the polytheistic Greeks of old would say, oh, there's a thunder god, or Zeus would strike, he'd create, and lightning is caused by these various gods acting. Uh, because we don't understand it. And so gullible people will believe things to explain the world around them, but the more scientific knowledge we have, the less and less likely it is that miracles occur because now we, we know that lightning is not because a god was angry and threw something at the earth. It was more likely because ion particles were charged by two different masses rubbing against each other in terms of the air and creating a charge, and then there was a thing uh, that happened, and bam, lightning. Um, we can explain that. And that's fine and dandy, but that's not the same thing as believing a guy rose from the dead. Right. That's not the same thing. Um, but here's a, here's a catch, okay? Here's an important part. The Bible is actually does not depict gullible people believing unbelievable claims because they just didn't know any better. I'll give you an example of this. This is one example. People don't often talk about it. Daniel chapter 2. So Nebuchadnezzar, the king, and he has these disturbing dreams and he wants an interpretation of his disturbing dreams. So he asks the magicians to interpret them. But because he's not gullible, as most people in that time were not, he actually tells the magicians, before you give me this interpretation, which you can basically fake, right. I want you to tell me what my dream was. Mm. That is not the action of a gullible person. Right. And this is far before Jesus' time. So skepticism is a good thing when it actually leads to confirmatory things. Now, what's interesting is Nebuchadnezzar actually did believe the miracle when it actually happened, but he wasn't gullible. Mm -hmm. So two things to take away from this. One, we have to start with a proper definition of what a miracle is before we get hyper-skeptical about it. And number two is realize the Bible is not written as a book for gullible people to swallow just to control them. It actually is very honest. It's very honest with what it proclaims. That's really good. That's a really good point. And I really believe like when we read the word of God, I, I want to thank you for just shedding light on that because I think some people, it's big right now. I mean, yeah. it's big right now to look back at the Old Testament or some events that happened in the Bible and people are saying, well, did that really happen? Did, did, did God really do that? Did God really say that? I mean, a, lot of, let's, a lot of modern Christianity is is trying to look at the Word of God and maybe say, yeah, that's the worry I believe. I'm not really sure about that. But I love how you said when you look at it as a whole, these are the reasons we can believe some of the words or the miracles, they happen as, you know, we saw them as they're laid out in Scripture. So let's just determine that the miracles of the Bible happened, okay? God did work. He worked in miraculous ways. Uh, people came to know him. They saw his power. What about today? We have every school of thought out there from God doesn't heal anymore. That's something he did and that died out with the apostolic age to God wants every single person healed. And if you don't get your miracle, then you did something wrong. And everything in between. Mm -hmm. So what are we supposed to do with all of this huge landscape? Well, um, so there are various people who, who believe uh, in certain things like cessationists, for example, who believe that the gifts, of the, uh, the, uh, the gifts that were given 
um, to the apostles and to various people up until the time of the apostles. They believe that those have, ce have, have ceased. So that's why they're called cessationists. And those people who believe that they happen all the time and people have those gifts um, uh, today as well. And I'm certainly not going to um, uh, uh, solve that in the next 30 seconds. However, um, I do think, here's, here's, here's my view on this, is that there are, as there's evidence, there's plenty of evidence that miracles do happen today. There's plenty of it. In fact, a, uh, a scholar named Craig Keener, uh, who is a first-rate biblical scholar, he does a, a very lengthy treatment on documented miracles that happen all over the world. This is not eyewitness testimony only. It's actually documented as eyewitness testimony, and then it's corroborated back and he gives likelihoods and probabilities that these things happen based on the documentation of the miracles themselves. <clears throat> so uh, based on the evidence, and that evidence actually lining up with what I think I believe scripture allows for, which is it allows for these healing miracles to happen today, um, I think there's great evidence to believe that people are healed, that things change when uh, in response to prayer, I think that there's tremendous amounts of evidence to suggest that not only healing miracles, by the way, because I think miracles, when we think about miracles, we think of healing often because it pertains to us particularly, but there are miracles financial, there are miracles relational, there are miracles geopolitical, there are miracles of all kinds happening all the time in, in ways that we can't even fathom and perceive. Um, so I think that there's plenty of evidence that there are miracles. Now, this is interesting because when you look at Craig Keener's work, or you look, there's a new book out by uh, Lee Strobel called The Case for Miracles, and he follows up, makes a more popularized version of uh, Keener's work, talking about miracles themselves. And there's all these documented miracles in various places. Now, this is interesting because oftentimes the skeptic will claim this, uh, and I've, I've heard it in debates over and over again. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And the claim that a miracle happened is an extraordinary claim, and therefore, you don't need just good evidence, you need extraordinary evidence for me to believe it. I don't understand this phrase. I don't understand it. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Why? Why can't this require good evidence? Right. Um, a friend of mine, Tim Barnett, once asked the question, he says, do hilarious claims require hilarious evidence? Um, it's, just, it does, it's, not a, it's not really a... a uh, um, it's a logical non sequitur, but here's the uh, interesting thing, is miracles by definition, I think, are, at least in some, not by definition, but by experience, are relatively rare. Okay, they are relatively rare. Um, <clears throat> but they're not so uncommon that they're extraordinary, that they would even require extraordinary evidence. When you look at the miracle claims all over the world, you begin to see something across cultures, across time, even in the most sophisticated countries in the world where we quote unquote know better, um, which I don't think we do, but um, uh, you see miracle claims. So is it really that extraordinary to right. claim it? Now the important thing to understand is, is that a miracle is not the kind of thing you should expect to see on every corner and every time. I mean, if you think about it, if we cut ourselves and our bodies healed immediately, right after prayer, um, or just because we're a believer, it would stop being a miracle in some depth. It would be expected. Hmm. Uh, it would be the kind of thing you'd always expect, and so you'd stop giving God glory maybe necessarily because that's what's supposed to happen. Like my nails get long every time I cut them. Right. I mean, I don't thank God my nails got long. Um, it's just an operation of the <laughs> biological whatever, you know? Um, so I think that there's a part of that as well that we need to take, take into account is that not every time does it happen, but I do believe they happen today. I do believe that because the Bible allows for it. 
Uh, and I do think that there's evidence that corroborates that miracles happen, amazing miracles happen all the time. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, to, to your point with that, it's the people in the Bible who did miracles. You know, I think of a Peter who did a miracle and then got arrested, got beat, put in prison. He was in chains, and it wasn't like his, all his scarring miraculously healed. He was in pain for a, a lot of time, even though this was a guy who, when his shadow passed you, you were healed, yet he's in prison, in chains, bleeding right? Do you think he's probably not saying, hey, God, um, could you do something about these wounds after all my shadow healed everybody, right? So it's, I think we got to be careful of the God wants everyone healed all the time because then it would not be as miraculous as we, you know, want to look at miracles to be. Well, and just, just, just a, a quick thing too, when you look at, the, so there's Peter, but there's also Paul. I mean, you actually right. have Paul asking God three times for the thorn in his flesh, whatever that was, and it's a bit of a mystery what that was, uh, to be removed. And the answer was essentially to keep me from becoming conceited. Right. God allowed this to happen right. to him. And then he learned a more profound lesson. The miracle was the lesson Paul learned, stuck for the rest of his life. And now we, 2,000 years later, in the miracle of the preservation of a 2,000-year-old document that has more support for it than any other ancient document in the history of the world, you can learn that lesson today. That's a miracle. That's it is a miracle. Okay, so let's, let's go a little deeper. So we believe miracles happen in the Bible. We can make a case that the miraculous happens among us that God still does miracles. I personally have witnessed miracles, the miraculous, in different situations and different seasons in my life, but I've also experienced disappointments. So here's the thing. Does God choose to heal some and not others? And if that's the case, is that fair? And how do we reconcile that? Yeah. Nice, well, easy question for yeah, you exactly. this morning. Thanks. Yeah, because and, and every, my, I, would, I would venture to say that everybody, every person here, whether you're a, currently a believer or you were one or you're struggling with your faith, whatever it is, you've experienced the same, same thing, maybe to different levels where you've asked for something and it didn't happen um, or um, you, you, it, something did happen and you thought this was the miracle and then it ended up being something that was disappointing for you. Disappointment is a part of the, the experience. It just is. All of us have it. We just, it just is. And part of it's because our desires are actually not in line with what Scripture actually says our desires should be, or our prayer life is, I want stuff, I don't want you. Mm. In other words, we ask for the miracle, but we, do we really want the miracle worker? Mm. We, do, we want the way to be made, but do we really want the way maker? Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes the answers are, I don't want you to have the thing you want. I want you to have me, and it's more than that. And that might sound like a cop-out, like, okay, that's a nice way to say that God exists and you're trying to prove it because you didn't answer the miracle uh, request and it's a 50-50 shot, so you know, why not pray to pencils or something? You'll get the same result. Um, but that's not what's going on here. Is that the, the scripture even tells us ahead of time. In the Psalms, uh, we read that if uh, you delight in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. Did you notice the condition for that? Delight in the Lord? I mean, what does Jesus say is that if you ask anything in my name, 
it will be given. Now that in my name is not a magic mantra. It doesn't mean when I say in Jesus' name, magically all these things start to happen because the name has some kind of an abracadabra notion to it. Those are not magic words. That's pagan. In the name means you actually ask for something in the alignment of your heart and your mind to say whatever your will is, I accept it. I want it, which you conform my will to yours. That's good. So, we even, you, know, you and I were talking uh, over lunch, and you pointed out, and you know, I hadn't seen this before, but you pointed it out, and I was like, wow, that's really something. Um, uh, when, when Jesus heals the man at the, at the pool of Bethesda, right. you know, when the sort of superstition was that if the waters get stirred up, there's an angel in there, and you jump into the thing, and you'll get healed somehow. And here's this guy, he's been trying and struggling for years. 38 years, yeah. Yeah, to get in there. And he never gets in there for whatever reasons. And who knows if the thing actually, people got healed or right. it's like a somatic or just one of these legends. It's sort of like these, you know, prayer claws these guys sell you where if I give you this cloth, right. suddenly you'll get healed and people believe it. And they still believe it for whatever reasons today. So this is not new. Right. Um, but here you have it. And Jesus, you pointed this out. And I thought, my goodness, that's so profound. Jesus walked in and healed that guy. And no one else. Yeah. I mean, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I don't think there's any record of it. I think it would have been recorded had mm-hmm. he healed other people. But the point was, there was a lesson behind why did he pick this person and not everybody else in that, in that place to heal? Maybe because it was a pool full, of, a, a room full of charlatans who were setups. Like, oh, I'm lame, but I'm not really. Right. Uh, because they were making money off of it. You know, it's one of these people who, oh, yeah, I, I can't walk. My right leg is really uh, messed up. I walk into, I get into the pool. And I, Look, I'm healed. You know, and what are those? Who knows? Who knows why he didn't do it? I don't know. We'll ask him when we get there. Um, but we only know of one. Right. So he does pick and choose sometimes. He really does. And other times he, he, he blesses everybody with that healing. Um, and the answer is, I don't know why. Other than I've heard of testimonies, and I have my own testimony, and my family does too, oftentimes of you learn something better, something more, something deeper from this um, in a way that is so much more profound than if I got the thing I wanted. Um, uh, miracles are not magic tricks. They're not parlor tricks to impress us or to give us whatever we want, whatever we want it. Uh, miracles are a demonstration of God's grace and his power to us. Not just his power, so we're like awed by his power. That's part of it. But you should be awed more by his grace. And I think the answer lies so much so in that oftentimes when miracles happen to some but not to others, we focus on the why did I get a no. Right. And I'm not saying that we're always inherently selfish this way, but we're people, every one of us, and I'm not trying to condemn, I'm actually pointing at myself when I say this too, is that I often focus on the why did I get a no, but they got a yes. You know, this happens in scripture too, is uh, something like this, it's not exactly the same thing, but one of the disciples asks uh, Jesus about something, about the destiny of another person. And um, because it was suggested that that person won't die Right. Until Jesus returns, uh, one of the disciples, and the disciple asks, what about that person? And Jesus says, what is it to you? I'll do what I do. But he says the central miracle is because I live, you also shall live. And he needs to know that and live in that. Um, 
so oftentimes we ask, what about that? Why that guy? What about that person? Right. No, no, what about you? What's going on with you? Um, so it isn't so much that we should focus on why, did, why was my answer no, but maybe we should just sit in the, in the moment of wonder and ask, why was their answer yes? Mm -hmm. They got a yes for something that was relatively rare. And you got to look at it, you got to see it, or hear about it. And it's perfectly human to sort of be jealous in one sense. I mean jealous, in a, not in a, in, a, in a petty way. But why didn't I get it? Why don't I get it? Um, but they got a yes. Right. And they didn't deserve that either. Right. They didn't deserve that yes. But it's God's grace. By definition, grace is what you don't deserve. Right. And God's grace was that. And so we should rejoice. Um, in that. Well, I think that's, that's part of it is you start to say, did I do something wrong? Right. Like, does that person's theology, or like you said, the magic words, did they say something? Did they fast different? Did they, what did they do? I mean, this is, this is what you see all over is like, okay, that person got a miracle. They said, yes. What's wrong with me? Right. What did I do wrong? And, and that's, I, I feel like there's a lot of people in church that feel that way, okay? Because it's, it's hard not to. You, you hear a story of someone going through the same exact situation you walk through, and they're on social media praising God for a miracle in their life for the same exact thing you believed God for and didn't get, and you start to say, well, what's wrong with me? And I think over the years for me, how I have reconciled this is to believe the same thing that you were saying is like, I am going to praise God and celebrate the miracles, but also understand that we live in a world full of pain and my unanswered prayer, the way I think it should have been answered actually empowers me to help someone going through the same exact situation I went through and overcame and moved forward. The miracle is the fact that I didn't get bitter, I got better, and I continued to move forward with my life in a world full of pain and suffering. I still choose to believe in God. That can be even more of a powerful miracle than seeing the miraculous take place in front of you because, I'll be honest, when, when someone when you're walking through a hardship, you don't want to hear from someone who's never walked through it. You don't want to hear from someone who everything in their life seems nice and cheery right now. You want to know, hey, I was in that hospital room and I experienced exactly what you experienced. And let me show you, this is, this is how we move forward. And this is how God moved in our lives from that point. And I think the power and the miraculous can be found right there in the person who has the determination and the faith and the trust in God to keep believing he's good, to keep believing in him, to keep moving forward, to keep seeking him, to keep ministering to people even in that pain. But that's not to take away. I'm always going to first believe God can heal. God can, God can do it. He can, he can do what I can't do, and I'm going to for sure err on the side of believing in faith that God can do a miracle. But when he doesn't, in what I think should have been the miracle, I realize that maybe the miracle was actually something different. So let me, if, I, if, you, if you let me uh, tell a story of a friend of mine. You know, Nicole and I and the kids, we, we visited some friends in Connecticut uh, about a couple months ago. Um, and um, 
we had the pleasure of going to this little, tiny, beautiful church in Connecticut and um, just heard a great word on unanswered prayer. Mm. Um, and I thought, and I knew I was going to come here and sit on the stage and talk with you very Oprah style. Um, <laughs> um, uh, and I thought about what he said, and he made a comment. He said, um, the Bible is more honest about unanswered prayer than the church tends to be. Mm. Um, and I thought, and the reason is, is not, not because we get judgmental a little bit, but sometimes the belief that God always heals and always wants everyone healed all the time and tends to, ends up being a condemnatory thing. Your faith wasn't big enough. Your, sometimes something was wrong with you. I've heard people actually say that to yeah. other people. Yeah. If you had more faith or you had less sin in your life or you confessed this, yeah. your, sin, your, 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 your son would be alive. Can mm. you imagine? Mm. Sometimes here, Christians are the worst in these situations, <laughs> just to be honest. We all need to get better. Yeah. At, at this situation. But, but can, I, can I read something? Yes. Uh, from, from a, so we have these two friends, uh, Shelly and Ed Kamashevsky. I've asked permission to share this story uh, of him last night. Um, <clears throat> Ed's a Bible scholar and has dreams of being in, uh, getting his doctorate. And he knows more than most doctorates I know, that I know. But he's never able to do it because of various sicknesses he had, he was never able to finish a PhD program. Uh, Ed has been sick for decades and they have no idea what's wrong with him. His body attacks itself, he, he gets hospitalized, it's just awful and he's prayed for his miracle over and over and over again and he's never been healed of it. And if you know Ed and you were to say, well Ed's got something wrong with his life or he's got a lack of faith or whatever it is, um, if you told me that in front of me, I might hit you in the face. Sorry, I mean, um, that is a capital human being. Um, so despite the fact that he has this Job-like experience where he doesn't seem to have any relief from these physical ailments, um, he's prayed and he stayed faithful. He's got a wonderful book he wrote with a guy named Rob Bowman called Putting Jesus in His Place. And it talks about all the proof that Jesus is the God who he claimed to be. Um, and uh, I sat with Ed not long ago uh, in Dallas, Fort Worth area and just spent some time with him, talking about his struggles and um, how encouraging I think people would find it that Ed has prayed for, but glorified God in the middle of the fact that he has never been healed. Mm. Ed's daughter, Emily, 17 years old, died just a few days ago. She loved the Lord and she, her heart just stopped just stopped. And they had her service yesterday, no, it's Friday. And it was amazing. And they prayed for her to wake up because she was in a brain dead state. They prayed for her, her brain to wake back up. They prayed and they prayed and it didn't happen. This is what her wife, this is what her mother Shelley wrote. Out of his kindness and intense love for Emily, God answered our prayers. We all prayed that we should rise. That we all prayed that she would rise. God answered. He raised her soul to heaven at 1.55 a.m. this morning. We prayed that she would open her eyes. God answered. She opened her eyes and smiled at her Savior. We prayed she would, be, she would live. God answered. She now lives with him for eternity. Our family is devastated. We know you are also. It's okay to feel deeply right now. As I write this, I'm crying. The ugly, red-faced, snot-nosed cry. We all love Emily. As I sob, the Lord reminds me that we grieve with hope. 
Her death is not the final word. Jesus spoke the final word when he died and rose again. It is the word of life for those of us who have placed our faith in him. We will spend eternity with him and with Emily. I imagine the joy, the day when we get to heaven, and after falling into the arms of our Savior, there will be Emily waiting for us, eyes dancing, full of energy, laughing her big, bold laugh and saying, it's about time you got here. We have so many adventures for you. It's amazing. You can glorify God when your answer that you wanted was no, but the answer that you really got was yes. Yeah. I mean, Revelation 21, 4 says there'll be a day where he'll wipe every tear from our eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Indeed. And there'll be a new day of no suffering, and that's going to be an awesome day. It really is. But I do want to hold on, because I, I, I know I know in a room this size, I'm looking out here and I know some of you, I'm looking at you and I'm like, I know your situations. I know you've experienced a tremendous amount of pain in life and didn't get your miracle. And I want you to know I'm so sorry, but you got a family of people around you that will rally around you and be there for you and help you move forward. And that's the beauty of community and the beauty of the church as well, which is another miraculous thing, Mm -hmm. by the way. The Mm -hmm. church. A church on every corner. In fact, me, you and I were talking about this at lunch, and we were talking about when Jesus said these words, he said, you will see even greater works than this. And we were talking, I'm like, I mean, raising Lazarus from the dead was pretty incredible. (laughs) Uh, um, Seeing greater works doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to see a greater miracle, but it means we're going to experience more numerous miraculous things. And one of those things, I believe, is there's literally a church on every corner just about it. Right now, all over the world, people are meeting, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. People are coming forward with needs and getting hands laid on them. And today might be the miracle for many people. Like, I want to give you some hope. If you're in this place and you're believing God for something miraculous, today could be the day it happens. I mean, all over the world right now, people are meeting, they're professing Jesus Christ as Lord, they're believing in Him, and we're all, with our faith together, miracles are possible, and I believe that's what Jesus was saying. You're going to see some things, like back in the day, they were scared to meet together because if they got caught, they were going to be persecuted, put to death, eaten by animals. I mean, there's so many crazy things happening, but today to have the freedom that we have to meet and to assemble and people to be talking about Jesus and transformation of the heart to be occurring in every human, like in so many humans, I should say, across the the world right now, Mm -hmm. I think that's pretty miraculous. Again, you think of that, those contexts, the church was birthed under a hostile religious context and a hostile political context and yet it thrived, and um, I mean, I could list off so many things about the early church that were miracles. Um, women, for example, flocked to the church um, in, a, in a time when women were not considered religiously to be involved um, in so many things, and yet, despite an oppressive, highly uh, misogynistic culture, women were the ones who flocked to the church and got power to be able to propagate the church and support the church in a time when, so you think about it, it was religiously hostile, it was politically hostile, and it was socially hostile. 
And yet it thrived and grew and expanded and took over the Roman Empire. The greatest empire in the history of the world mm. up to that point was taken over by this meek, mild faith that said, basically, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, and didn't raise a finger uh, in terms of violence or conquest, but took over everything in, 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 uh, because of the, the spirit of Christ that was in them. That's a miracle. Mm -hmm. And so I think your point is so valid and so well taken is that if you're sitting here and you're thinking, okay, well, maybe the answer is no and I should just live with it, um, maybe you should learn from it, but maybe the answer is not yet. Right. Maybe the answer is Sunday, December 12th. Right. Um, that could be it too. Absolutely 100%. So don't walk away from this thing thinking, well, you know, I can feel better about myself if I didn't get what I wanted. Um, no, that's not the point. Right. The point is it can happen and it can happen right now. I mean, there are gifts of healing, but friends, there are gifted healers. Yes. Your physician, your therapist, your physical therapist, your chiropractor. God does gift people with healing, and it isn't always just laying on hands and praying. It could be they're a gifted healer, just like they would be a gifted singer or a gifted basketball player or whatever it might be. There are gifts, and God gives you that miracle of those people. And so your miracle can happen in a billion different ways today. Today. Let's start to land, land this plane here. Something that I think that is incredible on top of like physical miracles or the supernatural taking place it's the transformation of our hearts you know you hear a lot that people don't change right mm -hmm. over and over again people don't change but there's something that happens when a person encounters Jesus and there's you hear this said all the time they were this way i was this way and now i'm this way you just don't see that kind of transformation happen. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's self-help books out there and there's some good practices. I believe in having goals and practices and trying to be the best version of ourselves. But, but you don't see a lot of times like, okay, a person was this, they encountered Christ, they began to go to church, they began to read God's word, they began to pray, and all of a sudden now they're this. Yeah. You know, there's, a, there's this um, movie we watched recently, and it's, it's, it's a movie from the 90s, I believe, it was the 90s, uh, called The Edge with Anthony Hopkins. It's this movie about this I thought you were going to say Die Hard. It's like <laughs> the Christmas movie. No. So the, the, the next time we'll talk, we'll talk about whether or not Die Hard's a Christmas movie. We'll have a debate about that. Um, um, <coughs> pardon me. So in The Edge is this movie of this billionaire played by Anthony Hopkins who him and some companions get lost in the woods up in Alaska. And Anthony Hopkins uh, has this life and it's you know, sort of gone through its paces and he's got everything a man could ever want. Uh, but this adventure where they're trying to get away from this killer bear, basically, um, transforms the way he thinks of things and starts to apply the knowledge he has. He has all this wealth of knowledge, but never actually applied it in real life. And now he's sitting there and he's gotta live and get past this this, this bear that's hunting them and it's, and it's doing a good job because it's took out one of his colleagues already. There's this, there's this conversation he and a colleague are having or he and one of the other survivors are having and they're walking through and he says, um, you know, people say they can change their lives and the other guy says, yeah. He says, have you ever met anybody who ever did? <laughs> they always say that, but no one ever changes their life. You ever met someone who's changed their life? And he said, no, not really. And he says, well, I'm gonna change mine. So, okay, you'll be the first. 
Um, I know a lot of people who have changed their lives. Right. Um, I'm, I think I'm sitting on stage with one, um, and I think I'm sitting as one whose so life has been changed. Um, Sanctification is a process. Right. So it's not like the miracle happens and suddenly, wow, you know, oh, and sunshine and rainbows and the halo forms over your head and all that stuff. It's a process. But um, practically speaking, your destiny has been changed. And you're conforming to the image of God's Son day by day. That's what the Bible tells us is that we conform daily to his image, uh, whether it's suffering, whether it's the miraculous, it's the generosity of the human heart. I know people who are miserly people, just would never give a penny. And then suddenly they're, it's, it's very Scrooge. It's, 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 look, that story, A Christmas Carol, that's based on transformation. It's, it's right. a guy who completely, I know people like this who have changed right. who they were because they wanted to follow who Jesus was and they, they were generous with their time and their treasure and all these things. So, you know, there's this thing, um, uh, there's a saying attributed to Einstein and of course, whenever there's someone who's influential in history, we, we, sometimes these little aphorisms get attributed to them and we're not quite sure if they actually said it or not. The, the meme I think of that's hilarious to me is this meme I've seen, it's a picture of Abraham Lincoln and it's a quote from Lincoln and it says, not everything you read on the internet is from me. Um, um, uh, and I, so I'm gonna tell you this thing that's attributed to Einstein, I'm not sure if it's true or not, that it's Einstein, but the principle is still true. Uh, he's reported as saying, it is easier to denature plutonium than it is to change the human heart. Mm. And yet, the miracle of the gospel is that the human heart gets changed. Right. Uh, because it is easier to denature plutonium. But the human heart requires a miracle. It's so good. Uh, I want to read this one scripture, Romans 5. Now, you've got to hang with me when I read this because... Paul's talking here and he's talking. This is really deep, but I love what he says. He says in Romans 5, 17, it says, For if by the trespasses of the one man, he's talking about Adam and Eve when they sinned. For by the trespasses of the one man, death reigned through that one man. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. Talk about a miracle. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, the many were made righteous. And I think to land this plane, it's about Jesus, what Jesus did for us on that cross 2,000 years ago when he died for our sin. And on that cross, he took all of our sin, pain, sickness, everything that's wrong with this world on himself. He died a horrific death, didn't stay dead, rose from the dead, gave us his spirit and said, now, for the first time in history, you're not going to be called a sinner. You're going to be called righteous because of me. God's going to see me in you. That to me is one of the greatest miracles of all time and that we can celebrate um, Christmas, knowing the person of Jesus, we can have an eternal life with our Savior, and we can believe God for the impossible. Amen. And I want to say this. Here's a call to action today. This is what James 5.14 says. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. 
We're going to do this this morning. If you are here, we're going to, we have a prayer team that will be around. If you are struggling with something and you are in need, a desperate need for a touch from God, we will be here and we will pray for you. We have oil. We will anoint you with oil and we will pray because we believe in the miracle worker Despite everything we talked about today, whether we have disappointments, we have uh, miracles, we still believe he's good and he can heal and we're going to believe him to do that. Amen. Any Amen. closing thought, Abdu? One no, last it's just, um, you know, when I, when I think of a miracle and I think that Ed Kamashevsky and Shelley Kamashevsky have never had the miracles that they wanted answered, and yet they praise the Lord and glorify Him over and over and over again. Mm. How difficult is it to knock it better? Mm. It's easy to fall into it. It's human nature, yet they praise the Lord. That's a miracle. I think God wants that level miracle for every human being, every mm. human being, and I think that miracle is offered to every human being. And if they just accept it, and if you don't know him, and you want to know what it's like to know that, right. that peace that you don't have to get better, that you can actually rest in the one who saved you, your miracle can be the fact that you have eternal life starting December 12th. Amen. Um, but if you need that touch, yeah. I think God can meet you. And if you've experienced emotional pain, I don't talk about this a lot, but maybe you got disappointed and you didn't get your miracle, and you have experienced trauma or emotional pain from it, and you have a lot of questions, we'll pray for you too. Because you, you need prayer. We'll, we'll be there for you. We'll pray that, that God will help you get through the difficult time that you're going through. Mm. You're not alone. That's what my wife tells me all the time. You're not alone. We're in this together. You got God. You got people around you. You're not alone. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to just talk about you and how amazing you are, how intricate you are. Lord, you've done so many amazing things throughout history. The fact that we're here sitting in these seats talking about you is a miracle. And we thank you for the miraculous. Lord, I pray for every single person in this room watching online. Lord, I don't know what the need is, but you do. I pray for those who are in emotional pain right now from some kind of past disappointment, trauma, hurt. I pray, Lord, you would be their healer right now. I pray you would be their comfort. I pray you would turn their pain into purpose and use them to help someone else who's walking through something similar. Lord, I pray for those right now who are expecting a miracle, who need a desperate touch from you or else something's not going to go well. I pray for the miracles to take place. For the people that are believing you for the impossible, I pray you would do the impossible. We love you. We believe in you. We believe you're good. We love you so much and we give you our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Abdu, thank you so much for being here. Pleasure. Today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.